Good evening and welcome to the long-awaited I Spit on Your Graves hoodie episode. We are sorry for our um, extended period of absence, but the sun was just too nice to uh, miss out on or not miss out on. And uh, yeah, whatever. It's fine. We do what we want. Um, you (laughs) You are listening to me, Faye, as always, and I'm joined by Christopher. Hello. And by Mercer. Hello. And how are we doing this evening? I am in fucking agony. Oh yeah. I've got I've got two if I don't sound my normal cheerful, fun loving self, it's because I've got two fake. And even though the dentist was supposed to have fixed it yesterday, I'm still in pain at the moment. I did give Chris the option to not record, but he's been a little Maggie Trooper. I'm nothing if not committed to this fit grades cause so yeah if i'm quiet and if, if i don't just buy my selection at all then i'll i'll leave it to you two to do the heavy lifting are you are you pre-blaming why you might not win is that why is I'm that what's happening I, I might just be going for the sympathy like oh. <laughs> i mean if you want to win that way then i win anyway that's fine how are you mercer um Yes, I mean, if Chris is going to go for the sympathy vote, so am I, because I have been absolutely shafted financially the last couple of days, paying solicitors and mortgage brokers, and and just my entire life is just now a, a, a sea of paperwork and confusing things. Is this a thinly veiled excuse for you to let people know that you are buying a house now? Oh, yes, of course, FYI, everyone, I'm buying a house. I'm getting on the property ladder at 41 years old. Congratulations. Never too late. Oh, so much more um, complicated than I thought it would be. Well, we have all this to look forward to when we get a house. So um, I'm enjoying not being complicated for a little while longer. Have we been watching anything, doing anything? Apart from buying houses and dying? <laughs> yes. Have we been watching things? Yes. Yes, I have watched some things. I watched um, Becky. Oh. Oh, Becky's good. I like Becky. Isn't it fantastic? Mm-hmm. Completely did not expect Kevin James to pull off that character but he definitely did. I was um, quite impressed, Hmm. quite impressed to say the least. You used to have a bit of a thing for Kevin James, didn't you? How dare you bring that (laughs) up in public? No shame in it, no shame here. Do you know know what? I I loved Kevin James and I loved King of Queens. Um, And then on a rewatch of King of, King of Queens? King of Queens, yeah. Again, it fell into that, like, awful kind of... um, Do you know when people say it's of its its time? Mm -hmm. And it's just laden with misogyny and homophobia and, um, you know, all the kind of shit stuff that you don't, like, want to really watch anymore. Yeah. You watch it and you're like, oh, wow. You say that, you will go back and revisit the Simpsons episode, Mayor to the Mob, and see how badly that's aged. Still one of my favourite episodes, but it has... Um, has homophobia. Homophobia and... Um, pedo joke. Pedo joke, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, we have been watching, or have been watching, we have watched um, Incantation. Yes, watched Incantation last night. Really good. I got, I got my hopes up. I did that classic thing where everyone was on Twitter and everywhere else saying how brilliant and scary and terrifying it were. And I got my hopes up and it was it was good. It's it's perfectly good. It's just not as scary as I hoped it was gonna be. It was a bit creepy for me, uh, given one of my phobias, it needs to come with a trigger warning because I did not need that shit in my eyes. It was no. horrible to watch and really made me feel icky I think watching it. If you want, if you want to see, personally for me, if you want to see this type of film that's been done recently better, 
go and watch No Roy the Curse or Nori I d- the Curse. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I think I kind of like this a bit more, to be honest. Um, it were, for as long as it is, and it is a long film, it was a bit more fast-paced, and I really like the story behind it, and it, it jumps from timelines as well, which is quite cool. Um, I, I personally would recommend it, as would a million other people on Twitter. I have watched them also some very other very average stuff, because I've had a couple of days off, non-horror related. I finally got around to watching Moonfall, which I think if you'd which seen... Which someone did not want to no, watch. <laughs> I think if you'd seen it on the, in the cinema on a Saturday night on a big screen, you could kind of go, yeah, that's fine, because it's very Armageddon, Independence day E, And I also caught up with Tom and Jerry as well, which if you like Tom and Jerry, there's plenty to love. And if you don't, then you won't. Not the Inside Number 9 episode. Not the Inside the Number actual nine remake of Tom and Jerry. Got it. Mm-hmm. Probably also worth pointing out that we did the cellulite screams all day off and got yes. to watch some classics on the big screen, including one from a previous episode. In fact, our very first kind of uh, challenge against each other for favourite horror, Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know Chris was excited for that. Del- delighted to finally see on the big screen. Absolutely brilliant. Can we just quickly address though? No, no, we fucking can't. We covered all this in the previous episode. We didn't. just sit there and just pick holes. We didn't. I loved it. I loved watching it. Oh, Kerry, she has her hand just shoot out of the ground at the fucking end. That's just stupid. No. But the thing is, during Poltergeist, you can clearly see that a lot of the times in the action scenes that they're using an animatronic for Carol Ann, it's blatantly oh, obvious. Oh, fucking wait. 80s, you're start just fucking waving her around. They do it for Robbie. They let Robbie get yeah, thrashed she, about right, left and centre. But she had her all clearly Ill, Ill, and we know she was ill. No, she wasn't ill to well, no, we, know, we know she's ill. Yeah, we know she's... We know that she's diagnosed, but you clearly she's not ready. And I can't believe you're going, oh, they wouldn't just throw a child around the bedroom. No. What kind of fucking shit I don't, I don't mean it like that. What I mean is it was so obvious when the legs were just going. I can, you can't see what I'm doing right now, but I'm doing that. The legs were going like that. I mean, to be fair, fair, she was like six or seven years old. <laughs> Again, they didn't care when it came to Robbie. They were ready to like... drag Robbie through that wardrobe cupboard. Whatever it is. Anyway, it was still great to watch. I'm still immensely happy I got to see it on a big screen. Yes. And we got to have many beers as well throughout the day and evening. We did, we did. And then we also got to go the next, last this weekend, just go and see Nodding Off for her birthday as well. Oh, we did, yes. Which was also very nice to go and see them. Happy post birthday, Lauren. We looked at some dead stuff in a tank. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not going to elaborate. <laughs> but, yeah. Are like we going to see the sudden? It's like a low-end yeah. version of Dark Water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I say, is this going to be on a future Netflix documentary that we're going to see? It could be, I guess. You could, you could make a film out of it. We shall see. Anywho, are we all finished in what we've been watching? Yeah. Yes. Well, let's move on then, fuckers. We're going to start with me because I chose this episode and I'm bringing you the best one right out the gate. So when we started this podcast, there were a handful of films that I were excited to talk about and we never seemed to get around to this one. But here we are. Who's ready for a three hour discussion? Everyone? Fantastic. My pick is from 2008 and it is Eden Lake, the OG hoodie horror, urban horror, kids about to tear your face off sort of thing, yeah? We can agree? Don't leave me fucking hanging. We know it is. I mean, I don't know if it is, but it's definitely probably one that everyone would revert back to as setting the framework for uh, a successful hoodie horror. Exactly, the OG. So, if you haven't seen Eden Lake, what are you doing with your life? Here's a recap. It starts with Michael Fassbender, a Steve, and he is taking his lovely girlfriend, Kelly Riley, playing Jenny, on a retreat where he used to go in college. Um, the whole point of this is he wants to propose to her. 
it's going to be a special weekend and he remembers this lake being absolutely beautiful when he was in college and as they get into the grounds of where they're going to go it has now become just a rough estate and full of asbo kids and benefit families and just a horrible sense of I want to call it community, but it's, it's horrible community. What what would that be? It's very, it's very much council estate. What? Yeah, council estate. It's what shows like Benefit Street and all the other low rent Channel Five shitty ones want you to think a council estate is like. Yeah. So as they're relaxing, they come across a group of um, jobs, basically, including such people as Thomas Turgoose and uh, Jack O'Connell. And they just start terrorising them, basically, just because they can, because they get away with whatever they want to get away with. And it escalates to a point where things turn pretty nasty um, and pretty terrifying. Yeah? Anyone care to weigh in at this point or say anything? Or For this category, dude, I fucking hate the R absolutely abhor the cat the genre i think it's absolute dog shit and i had huge issues to find the film that i wanted to represent me for it saying that i think eden lake's great <laughs> i think it's a eden brilliant lake film it's great eden lake is one of the few films where i have sat there completely speechless throughout sorry and apart from one part near the end where something happens and i punched the sky because i was so happy this thing had happened but other than that I stayed completely silent and it it was gut punching because I grew up on council estates and I know these type of people. I know what they're capable of. And no, this is not that far removed from reality at all. So to see it happening out on a film is pretty fucking scary. And that's why I love it. it it's just, there's no rules for kids like this. It, you know, obviously it paints the picture that it is the families that are to blame because they're mistreating the children. Um, but it's it's just really scary how they don't fear any sort of consequence in what they're doing. I don't. I think. I don't think it fully presents like a, a sense of the children being mistreated. I think one of them it it paints a very clear that he has an issue with his father. Some of the others though, like uh, there's a scene in the cafe where he's trying to explain to that woman that the kids did something bad. And she just instantly is like, my kids are good kids. Mm. That, that's it's what I was talking Yeah. And that's what I was yeah. talking about earlier with that sense of community and that they look after their own, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, they will still protect them. Yeah, it's quite scary. But I mean, to be fair, it's pretty standard though for parents to just stick up for their children no matter what, whether you come from like a council estate or an upper class estate. Mm. Um, but there is something a little weird about this one because the children are evidently out of control. Yeah. And the parents just seem blind to accept it. But then we have pre the children kicking off, we have that scene mm. where they stop in that motel for the night above the pub. And the parents are all boozing and the parents are all clearly out of control and have no actual perception that their behaviour is publicly wrong. That's, there is every warning sign there, every red flag raised before they get to the... When you go there, if you were on that trip and you had all that before you got to let you go, you know what? Butlins. That's... <laughs> I don't think Butlins is much better, to be honest. But even, even in that scene, you have them a child misbehaving in it and the mother turns around and smacks her across the face. So you do start to get that, like, it's, it is kind of put in there that it is going to be the parents that, or you want them to, it wants you to think that it's the parents that are the result of them being the shitter. Because especially when we go to um, Jack O'Connell's house and his father, played by the fantastic... Sean Dooley, you see him just start to kick off straight away when he can't find him. You see him bringing in the bottles and it, it's just dysfunction. And so, I mean, I know you can only focus, you can't focus in on every single family. And obviously Jack O'Connell is the ringleader of this group. So everybody's following him. But like you said before, the parents will still back them up as becomes horribly evident towards the end. 
but I don't want to get to the end yet because that upsets me too much. I really like the way that when we first see the group of kids, yes, Jack's probably comes across as the ringleader, kind of, but the rest of them just seem perfectly aligned with him. Mm. It doesn't seem like they have any interest in being anything other than his friends, his cronies, or whatever. What I do like is as the film progresses, when we start to see some of these kids actually start questioning their own behaviour and what they're doing, but then that peer pressure and that that fear of being an outsider or being, um, you know, like, um, oh, what is the little boy called? Adam. Yeah. Being like Adam. I think that the greatest fear these kids have got is being a kid who is on the outside, who's subject to be able to be victimised by people like them. Mm. But it is interesting to watch the way, the, the, the shift in like dynamic and the, the more they get like a bit withdrawn from the situation, the more agitated and angry and over the top Jack becomes... Is the character called Jack or is that the actor? No, that's Brett. the actor. Yeah, yeah, Brett. The, so Jack O'Connell, the more the, the character of Brett becomes more and more and more and more. And I love the way that he also protects himself throughout the entire thing. Exactly. Love he, it. Like he's literally doing it for himself. He knows he's got himself into a shit situation because sorry, jumping ahead, what um what starts this basically is they have an altercation on the beach bit. And then they put a glass behind their tires. And when they find out it's them, Fassbender ends up sneaking into the house, sees Sean Dooley and drops his wallet. So they know that they've been in the house. They steal the car, uh, they wreck the car. And then unfortunately the dog dies in, in, a, in a fight between Fassbender and O'Connell. He accidentally stab, stabs a dog. And that's what kicks it all off. And that, that's what starts it all. When he's took it too far, he knows he's took it too far, but he's not going alone. So he makes sure that every single one of those is involved, whether they like it or not. So he, all the time, like you said, he's just protecting his own ass the entire time. He's such a bad character. I mean, he's played brilliantly, but what I mean is he's such an awful piece of shit. Awful, hate him but love it because <laughs> it's so he good really really is yeah in fact they are all awful pieces of shit i particularly took a dislike to uh page oh page is awful page is absolutely yeah. awful the, the like way she's... the way she the way she creates situations purely from being paranoid she's paranoid about um jen and how it is jen isn't it jen Sorry. yeah Jenny, she's paranoid um, that she looks better than her and is better than her, so feels she has to start an argument and accuse him of looking at her and stuff like that. She's just, oh, she's awful. I don't like her. And the way she talks is genuinely, I, I have heard so many girls from like where I grew up or where I've lived who talk to people like that. <laughs> And you just, you know, they just, you just want, and, and it's terrible to say it, but you just want someone to give them a smack in the face and let them know that they're not the superior being that they've created in their mind that they are, and they don't have the right to treat people the way that they do. God, we're really serious on this one, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, because I think because we know this type of person, that's the thing. A lot of films you can go into it and you'll never be in that situation in your life. But I think majority of people in this country have probably been in a situation where they've met somebody like that and they've had some sort of argument with somebody like that. Yeah, I think everyone, we, I think we all, all have at La some point. Last Saturday night, for example, me and you, Mercer, we encountered one of these people. It, do you know what I mean? It's not, it, it's something you will, it's something you will face. And I think that's what makes it so relatable is that it's you you know that things can kick off at any second and you know just how nasty people are and this could happen this has happened in your neighborhoods yeah this has happened we've seen these kind of stories in the paper on the news 
uh, watch documentaries about these out of control kids who've gone one step too far, um, one step, like a million steps too far, yeah. what they do to the people in this film. But yeah, it is, it is, it's pretty brutal. Um, they are brutal. And I, and, I, and I think the, the situations they put themselves up, the situation that they put, um, Fassbender and Kelly Riley in are particularly disgusting. There is a horrible scene in this film where um, they've got them both tied up. I mean, they've tied up Fassbender anyway. They've crashed. He's gone ahead and tied him up and she's gone running to try and get help, but somehow ends up back at him trying to get help on the phone. And they've got him tied up and they're all having a go. Like I say, he's trying to get them all to be implicit. Complicit. Complicit. He's trying to get them all to be complicit in it. So says go on have a stab at him go on do this and I think it's uh Thomas Turgoose who just puts a box cutter in his mouth and just starts oh and just starts jagging it around and it goes through me just thinking about it it looks horrible it looks so nasty that scene isn't as long as you'd think it is it isn't all no because when you think of that film you think oh yeah they've there's a huge torture scene where they have him tied up most of the film is meeting between them pre the pre-torture, the pre-aggro, and then them two on the run. Yeah. And her, obviously, later on the run on her own. Yeah. But actually, that scene, it probably hits, shows how hard it probably hits, because you think, oh, yeah, that scene's aged when they're torture. No, it's probably only about five minutes of yeah. that. I think it's the chase of it all. I think the chase goes on for so long because they're trying to get away and they're in this big development. Um, nothing's being built yet, so it's just fields to her. It's just woods. She doesn't know the place, so she's trying to get out. Uh, she does end up finding this child who wants to be part of this gang. So basically leads her right back to them after she's got so far. But she's a teacher. She's like, I don't want to abandon a kid. Takes her back. They strap both of them up and set them on fire. This is a group of kids setting two adults on fire. It's fucking terrifying. Could you imagine? Awful. But she manages to get free. Poor Fassbender. He doesn't. No, this this is this probably for me the most disturbing part of the movie. Not for me. When she's running away and he's like, if you don't come back, I'm gonna set Adam on fire. And it's all off camera, but we see him pour the gasoline on, and then we just hear that little boy's screams. And you're just like, fuck, this guy is genuinely like completely like gone Raged. like his rage has completely taken over and the fact that again they're all complicit in it none of them really the thing is none of them want it to happen at this point and you can see that these other kids are a bit like i don't want this some of them try and leave and he constantly threatens them with the fact that i've got you all on camera now mm-hmm. assaulting this guy <laughs> When this guy dies, you will be done for murder. Yeah. If you leave, I will share this. And he's not done. Other than burning Adam, at that point, he's not actually done anything to Fassbender, has he? No. Apart from time up and have a stab. Even that. I don't think he even had a stab. I think, didn't he just get everyone else to have a stab to start with? I thought he did. But there's a lot going on, so I might be wrong. There is a lot going on. He definitely didn't get filmed doing it. Yeah, they all got filmed doing it. But when she manages to get away, um, she gets this place and she's hiding, because obviously you would, and they're searching for her. And uh, she turns around at one point and little Tommy Turgoose is behind her. And she's just been through that much shit. He's, he's, he's trying to be reasonable with her. I think he, I think you were going to say, just run and just get away. I'm not going to tell them that I saw you. Oh, but she just stabs him in the neck. Great! <laughs> No, this is the thing. I know he deserved it. As a character, he deserved it. But he was trying to do... I know, don't come at me. He was trying to do the right thing. And I think even as long as it took, he still was going to let her go. No, Chris. I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have enjoyed the film more if we'd have gone into... You know, like um, Revenge or Swing... Is it Swing Low? Yes. The one that Soho... I'd have rather at this point she just sort of just started killing them off one by one. Well, she doesn't bless her. Uh, she does manage to get away, 
And then as she hikes this lift, it turns out it's one of the brothers. They find Thomas Turg, who's dead, bless them, and um, get all upset and everything like that. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. I know, yeah. Uh, but she does manage to get away. And she finds this car, and the guy in the car turns out to be the brother of one of the kids. And he's going to pick them up at the quarry at Eden Lake. Um, she sees it happen. She freaks out. He gets out the car to go and ring at his brother. So she steals the car and then crashes it and ends up stumbling. You missed a bit. What have I missed? You missed probably. I thought this, oh, yeah, I thought shit, this was yes, your fist in the air moment. It, it is my this fist. This is mine. It, it is my yeah. fist in the air moment. Thank you. So when she's driving away, Paige steps in front of the car and bam, she plows her down. And my fist went right in the fucking air the first time I watched that. I don't know why I hated Paige so much. You know, it, it, it's, it's a compliment to the actress for playing such a dick. I, I wanted to see her get run over. She's just one of them women hate women. No, I'm not. There's something about Paige, I just didn't like her. But yeah, anyway, so she runs her over. She gets back into town. She's all delirious. She crashes the car and ends up stumbling into this garden party. And this is my most devastating bit. This kills me every time. And if there was any film I wish could have a different ending, it would be this one because it breaks my fucking heart. So she stumbles into this garden party and she comes to and it turns out she is in the house of the kids who've just fucking tortured her and killed her would-be husband. It's that moment for me in this scene where actually everyone's rallying to help her because, you know, something bad's happened and then one of the mothers gets that phone call well, she, she notices the dog the first. She, she notices yeah. the second dog in the house and realizes where she is. Say she wants to go to the bathroom, and as she's on her way to the bathroom, the mother gets the call about little Tommy Turgoose being uh, yeah. stabbed in the neck. And they start, she goes into the bathroom, and there is no escape. It's uh, what's the word? I can't think what that brick's called, like glass glass blocks on the wall so that she can't even get out of, an, out of a window and she's stuck in there. She can hear it escalating more and more outside and you know that they found out and they know it's her because of everything that's just happened and, you know, as they've described it, Sean Dooley kicks the door in, the mother start blaming her, screaming, it's just a child. I'm like, fuck you, he's just a child. It's like, he's just a child. I'm like, you fuck off, no. And uh, then Jack O'Connell rocks up, confirms it's her. Take her into the bathroom and we don't know what happens, but you can assume what happens. And it kills me every time because you know, you know what they're doing to her in there. She couldn't even fucking escape after all that. She could not escape. And that little shit was straight upstairs with his Ray-Bans that he stole from Fassbender and deletes all the fucking evidence. What, excuse my French, what a cunt. I, it angers me so much, that ending. I love it. I love it to be. It fucking angers me. Oh, such an amazing film. And that's your winner. So uh, I don't think we need to continue with this episode, do we? Think we found winner? Yeah. Possibly. Anything I mean, you'd you, like you, to you, add, or? No, I think you pretty much covered it from my point of view. I think it's really good. I think everyone's really good in it, even the shitty little kids. Um, as you say, it's a testament to them children actors how much you hate them. Um, it's got an awful, awful, horrible ending. Um, it's definitely not a feel-good mover. No. Um, I won't recommend watching it on a date um, or if you're having a conversation about having children or <laughs> adopting children or fostering children or going anywhere on holiday. Uh, I mean, literally... Are you saying any time? You just wouldn't watch it any time? Is that what you're saying? No, I just think it's the kind of film that literally tells you, just stay in your house and keep yourself to yourself for the rest of your life and you might survive. Might. Mine. Chris, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I think we've covered, I think we've covered it pretty well. As I say, the fact that for this genre of film, I really enjoy, I, I really enjoyed it. 
still seen it twice, which any other genre of this film, no, I'm not watching it again, a second one ever. So, yeah, that's how on board I'm with it. And Fastbender's always great to watch. And little dickheads' kids get killed. Yeah. I only wish all of them got killed. That's my <laughs> takeaway from it. So, in conclusion, Eden Lake is just incredible. Horrible, but incredible. Fantastic acting. If, if fantastic deaths are your sort of thing, fantastic deaths. Uh, if fantastic torture is your sort of thing, fantastic torture. Bleakest ending of any film ever, maybe on par with Dead Man's Shoes. But this is why Eden Lake should win your vote for Hoodie Horror. Okay, then. Well, I'm going to move on to um, a lighter film. Kind of, kind of raised the mood a little bit. Uh, I'm going for the 2016 um, Philip Escott and Craig Newman Cruel Summer. Um, just want to throw this in there first as well. So Philip Escott, in case you didn't know, also directed and wrote and produced a documentary entitled The Making of Anna and the Apocalypse. So something everyone should try and seek out and watch. Um, just throwing that in there because it's good. Uh, yeah, so Cruel Summer. Cruel Summer is basically, it's the, the lovely story of uh, young Dana who suffers from autism um, and he is working towards his Duke of Edinburgh um, badge scheme. Don't know what it is, award. Award. And Duke of Edinburgh award. And as part of that, he's going to go out camping and spend the night alone, away from his family. Um, you know, to to achieve this award. Um, he's going to do all the nice things, you know, read, have a, make s'mores or marshmallows as we do in the UK, do some fishing, um, you know, it's all up. While this is going on, we've got three friends. We've got Nicholas, Julia and Calvin. Now, Nicholas has just broke up with his girlfriend and he's absolutely fuming and um, he goes around to see Julia. He's been friends with a while. Julia's got a bit of a thing for Nicholas and her biggest thing in life is to just keep Nicholas on board. She wants to, it, it appears like she wants to be his girlfriend and if not his girlfriend, she definitely wants him to be like a big part of her life. And she's getting kind of like a bit frustrated by him going off about this girlfriend all the time. So she just makes up a lie that his girlfriend slept with Dana, um, the autistic boy. Like you do. Like you do. This pisses Nicholas off completely. And he's like, right, I'm going to teach this Danny a lesson for sleeping with my girlfriend. So he decides to go off and find Danny. They pull in a new, someone who's new to the area, which is Calvin. And um, they want to get him involved in this mission to go and find Danny and like sort him out. But now Danny's not just slept with Nicholas's girlfriend. Danny is a local paedophile, which is not. No. So the film but, is basic. I said that's the only way they can get him on board by saying, oh, yes. actually, this is the situation, not telling him that he believes he's slept with his missus because he knows that'd be yeah. stupid. Nicholas is also um, very much the kind of person who wants to keep face. So he would never really want to admit that he's going to go beat up someone with like a mental disability because of them sleeping with his girlfriend. He needs it. Yeah. He needs it to look like he's doing something to actually protect society. Um, basically, long story short, they go on a mission, you know, they do some things, they rob some places, they smoke some drugs. I'd never really believe that Julia and Calvin actually think that they're going to go and confront Dana. When they do, I never really believe they expect to what extent Nicholas mm. is going to take this. It starts off with him just being a bit lippy with him. Then he starts making him drink alcohol, something that he doesn't want to do, something he's never wanted to do. Then he tries to make him strip. Then he starts pushing it and saying, you have to sleep with Julia in order to be part of our group but that's when she kind of like steps back and she's like uh, I don't think so mate um, 
And he's just getting really verbal, really aggressive with this young lad. That's when Calvin kind of clocks and goes, hang on a second. This guy ain't a paedophile. This guy's done nothing wrong. In fact, I've just listened to you kicking off about the whole point we're here is because he slept with your girlfriend. I don't want no part in this. I'm going to go. And he leaves. Mm-hmm. And you're a bit like, mm, come on, Calvin. Like, you know, maybe intercept Help a brother a little out. bit. Yeah, maybe like intercept a little bit. Maybe like, you know, try and reason with him. As we go along, though, a bit like... Um, Brett from Eden Lake, Nicholas's anger just starts taking over. And the more he kind of hurts Dana, the more he pushes it. To the point where, you know, the, he's hit him on the head, he's, he's made him bleed, he's beating him up. Danny tries to get away. Um, I'm really condensing this. It's, so, well, it's, not, it's not a long film, is it, to be fair? So. No. Danny tries to get away. Um, Calvin actually does try and help at this point in the most ridiculous way I have ever seen anybody try to help anybody by rugby tackling him to the floor and then dragging him to try and get him to safety. Like, oh, yeah. come on. Danny catches up and he lays in. He's got this, like, a scythe. And he just lays into him. I just, I find the whole film quite brutal. I kind of find a bit like Eden Lake kind of find this peer pressure aspect of it like such a horrible thing for, for me this one I think it, it 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 almost feels like not worse but like worse if that makes sense in regards to the reason this is happening and this is just stemmed from a liar girl's told to somebody because she wants to keep him on board I mean I'd say in in the same vein as Eden Lake they are apart from the guy who tries to get away, that they are awful people. She is clearly getting a kick out of watching him get angry over this and potentially go and hurt someone, and she won't tell yeah. the truth because she likes him. He's just a knobhead who really needs to channel the anger of his breakup a lot better than he is. It's probably the 18 years he's been held back at school. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think he's actually quite young as well. Um... He's... <laughs> I had a look because I had to check just because he's, he's perfectly fine and his age his appearance shouldn't make any difference if he, to the character he's playing but I saw him I was like oh he's 25 at this point and looks about 40 bless him there's a for me again there's a moment in this film where I just like something inside me just feels like wrong as in I feel like it moves me but not in a good way if that makes sense and it's the moment when he actually starts attacking Danny with the scythe mm-hmm. and um, Julia just says you need to stop can you stop and he just looks at her smiles and just goes I can't and then carries on and you're just like fuck this is like it's scary because of that kind of reality that that adrenaline that he's feeling has just completely taken over yeah. and any rationality is out of the window. It's because it's Danny's vulnerable as well. Because, I mean, Eden Lake, how awful, however awful they they are, and I'll see how it shouldn't... You don't want it to go that way. I wouldn't say they brought it on themselves. They they had plenty of chances to... They're, be, they're capable they, to they had, defend themselves. Yeah, and they had, capable, they had plenty of time and opportunity to de-escalate how things were going and could have just could have walked away at any point yeah until obviously everything goes to shit but Danny doesn't have any chance whatsoever in how things have gone he has no idea why why these have happened obviously this is very very loosely based on true that it's it's so loose as him to say based on events that someone heard down the pub from a story told by such and such. But it is it is the kind of thing that we have seen in the papers you have seen you have seen happen. So this particular story, even though it says based on true events, the director himself says it's not based on true events. It is based on on culture and what we see all the time. Is very similar to um, the story of Terry Lee Hurst who was a young boy with learning disabilities and three friends got together and ended up killing him Aww. because of like 
whatever was going on in their lives at the time. Um, it's not based on that, but I think it, it draws comparisons to that quite naturally because it is very similar. But yeah, it's not. Yeah, Philip Escott himself did say, you know, it's based on youth culture of today. And I think we highlighted like what we said in Eden Lake, you know, we've seen this. It's not something that we we would find. It's not you find it shocking, but not shocking because it's happened, just shocking because of what it is. But you're never shocked to hear about these kind of things happening. Yeah. No, true. On as I know you said the film's quite short, and it is, because I think it's only about 72 minutes or something. Yeah. I think yep. I'm not I I'm I enjoyed I enjoyed it for the most part. I mean, it's for, I didn't I didn't at any point go right, I'm going to turn this off because I'm bored and go back to it. I'm not. I don't know if it's got enough ideas to even sustain the runtime it has. I wonder whether it worked better just as a short. There's a lot of filler we're going. Oh, let's show how not tough, but how quite how how, how troubled these kids are. They hang around the. Arcade and look how they how they nick some booze from the shop. Mm. I'm not sure any of that actually adds anything I, to it. I think it. They're, they're probably trying to show what a bad bunch they actually are. But I mean, I do kind of agree. I don't think you need to show that to know what a bad a bad person is going to go and hurt a vulnerable person anyway, regardless mm. of whether they steal from a shop or duff up an arcade or whatever. They are just bad people anyway, and I think we knew that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of took it as it was um, to show us how the other two characters didn't believe what was going to happen because they were just doing all these other things. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like all Maybe. hot air. Um, but I will say that because it's my film and I'm trying to defend it. <laughs> but no, I did get that. I mean, I think there's a couple of moments in the film. Well, there's one moment that I think is fucking balls there which is where they rock up at his parents house and yeah. like is the end and you're like you fucking dickheads um but it's weird like that whole scene's a bit weird because like what would they do if he wasn't like it's quite scary yeah. that they they didn't like especially like um nicholas doesn't have any worries about pulling him out of his own house being witnessed and doing whatever he was going to do to him so that's kind of scary. And I think for me, it it's really sad at the end when his parents go to pick him up. Yeah. And they're like, mm, you know, he said 11, he's not ER, and dad's trying to come. At, and then they go, let's surprise him and go and, go and pick it, him up. And we know that they're going to see that bloody 10 and something bad's happened. It's the way the dad as well is just going, don't worry about him. He'll be all right when you know full well he's not all right. I yeah. hate that. Oh. Horrible. Again, I love this film. I will say some of the acting from like the parents is a bit sketchy. Natalie Martins is absolutely fantastic in this film. She is very much exactly like the girls that you see. She's not that different to Paige, except she's just not as nasty. She's just a little bit more um, vindictive in a selfish way. Um, I mm. think she's really quite good. Um, she is in a lot of Charlie's films, I noticed. Yeah, she did Vampire Virus, um, or we knew it as something else. Can't remember. Can't remember uh, no. Yeah, she has done um, quite a few things. Um, I really liked her in this film, and I really liked Danny Miller as Nicholas. I think, like, I found him very natural. I found everything he did very believable. The way he spoke to people, the way he kind of like the the you know he felt to me like a dickhead teenager. Mm. Um, Obviously, I had no, I didn't look at him and think he was too old either, but maybe it's because um, because I'm just young at heart. <laughs> uh, but I didn't, I, I, I didn't get any. Yeah, I, I quite, I quite liked him. I mean, I think Danny's performance was fine. I think it's really difficult to play a character on the spectrum. Um, I think, I think the thing is because I personally, I, I don't know enough about maybe um behaviors that come up that come with autism to know whether that was portrayed correctly or not uh i um i wasn't i i know people i do know people who are autistic <laughs> i don't know people with that on like with his style of autism so I, you 
I don't know whether he did that well or not. Sometimes I felt like it was a, like he was overacting. Um, and I guess I, I guess I, I'll apply that because they came to Fright Fest and he came to Fright Fest and you know there was just something. It just felt a little like overacted rather than like actually present it presenting a, a realistic okay. version of what autism is and more a, a stylized version of autism to emphasize the fact that like an idea of what people think yeah. autism might be yes yeah. something like that to kind of like emphasize the fact that the three chill the three people who were abusing him were abusing somebody who was very vulnerable right um, i mean they were and they would have been anyway but yeah there was something a little off about him but I do think overall everyone does a fantastic job. I think the story is very gritty. It is very morbid. It's very dark. Another one where I don't really see much joy in anyone's life. Right. Um, I, like, you know, these kids have no prospects because they're dickheads more than anything. Except for Calvin. I will. I do feel a bit for Calvin, um, who, you know, he's he's just trying to fit in but knows it's wrong and does try and get out of it, but just doesn't do the right thing. Right. But yeah, I, I personally find the film gritty, upsetting, un violent, scary in the sense that, you know, again, it's something that we, we can imagine happening. Mm. Um, and for me, that's why I think this is the best hoodie horror. Okay, so my choice for hoodie horror as I attempt to limp <laughs> orally limp through my my film choice I've gone a slightly different I played fast and loose I've expanded the term hoodie horror I've gone transatlantic the left field I've gone left I've gone transatlantic because not all hoodie horror has to be British and in the sense that there's nothing that cheers me up more than people getting what's coming to them. I have gone for the far more fun while also dark as fuck. 2016's Betty Alvarez's written and directed Don't Breathe. You have no time to be stopping for applause if your <laughs> mouth is hurting. I'm, I'm having to stop for applause and the take of, <laughs> and the rest up before I go into my next sentence. So, brief synopsis of this one. We have three, three ne'er-do-wells, three American hoodies, if you, if you will, who are, do, who are living in a rundown, shitty... In the ghetto. In the ghetto. They're, they're very much in the ghetto. And Jane Levy, who plays Rocky, dreams of taking her little sister away and moving out to the golden sands of California, the golden dream, proper 1920s depression era, end of the rainbow kind of kind of thing. In order to do this, that her and her two friends have been committing a series of low stakes home invasions slash robberies because one of the guys, their dad runs a security firm and they know that they can break in, not risk a prison sentence for the offences they're committing, go in, take what they can, sell it, and get away and get closer mm -hmm. to that Californian dream. They hear about a ex-army veteran who apparently has got an absolute wad of cash in his home. Well, you say it's an absolute wad. I mean, the amount they describe it as to me doesn't seem like the biggest wad. For, like the, for them. 16 grand? They don't oh, say that? 16 grand. They're like, they think, think it's probably around 100,000 or so. Oh, still. But for them and what they need to do to get away, that's quite a sum of money. Yeah. Stephen Lang is the blind army veteran whose home they invade. And as it was always the way when you're uh, committing a home invasion, things start to go a little bit sideways. Who knew? Who knew? As I say, this is, this is different from the bleak, real-worldy yeah. awfulness of British Council, British Council estates. This is very much a you, Hoodie Horror. This is this is very much a me, yeah. Hoodie Horror. I am bringing the fun to Hoodie Horror. Fundy Horror. Fundy Horror. Yeah. But that's, not, 
Bloody horror. Bloody horror. horror. But that's not to say that this isn't bleak, dark, violent, fucked up in all the right ways. It's just as bleak and violent for our protagonists and what this film is actually trying to say over the pointlessness of trying to chase down that American dream for at least two of these parties. Before Don't Breathe, considering it, it has been marketed and has been accepted as a like a Hollywood blockbuster sort of film, it's, it's very Hollywood, it's very commercial. It, it does have some actual dark bits in it, like really dark. And you've got Poundland Emma Stone as well. We do have Poundland Emma Stone, and we have Dylan Minnette, who is... Everywhere every, <laughs> around this time in every film. The 13th reason. Yeah. Yeah. Every TV show and every film ever made. Yeah. At this point. He did get around at this point, yeah. But he is he is very good. There's a reason he's in a lot of stuff because he is a terrific actor. He looks brooding. Brooding? Brooding. He looks a lot of the he time. He looks bruised. <laughs> he looks bruised by the end of this. He gets <laughs> he goes through shootings, stabbings, general beatings. He gets absolutely pulverized, but they all do. There are no, there is no punches pulled, regardless of gender, in this film. And the premise of the film itself is brilliant in that you are essentially playing blind man's, is it blind man's bluff? Yeah. So, I mean, I know he's blind in it, and obviously he can't see. Part of being blind. Let me finish. But you would assume that his other senses were heightened, and a lot of the time he misses out on essential hearing stuff. But then again, he is older, so maybe he's losing it. You're mistaken him with the character he plays in Daredevil. <laughs> to be fair, not to be fair, uh, to agree with you, fair. One thing that I did find confusing was, you know, he couldn't hear a whimpering, but he hears a floorboard creak. Yeah. He, he, you know, he can't open a cellar door and point a gun and shoot directly at someone who stood directly in front of him and hit them. But, you know, he could do all sorts of other things, like in the dark, grab them from, like, behind a shelf. So he's very... um. It's very confusing um, what he what he can and can't do. I was hoping you were going to say rather than in the dark in the shadows because my head just immediately went ah, ah, in the shadows. Beautiful. We all like to be reminded of Rasmus. Don't pretend we, we don't. We do like to be reminded of the Rasmus. Thank you. Did you enjoy it though, Mercer? That's the important thing. Did you? Were you entertained? So this is this. <sighs> Sometimes with films, one thing that does confuse me is when they don't have an actual protagonist, because there's not a single person in this film that is a decent human being. And don't get me wrong, the fact that, like, you know, um, Rocket is doing this to get her sister out of a house or she don't want to be in, you know, there's other ways of doing that rather than robbing people, stealing stuff that they've worked damn hard for um, to support you. So painting these like three characters that you instantly think, I'm not really bothered about you. And actually you take on board like the guy, the the blind man. Oh, I think he's just called blind man in the film and he ain't got a name. No. Just blind man. Yeah. Excellent characterization there, Mr. Alvarez. Can, uh, we, can we call him spermicidal maniac? <laughs> Spermicidal ah. maniac. Um, so Thank I do you. find that quite odd because you, I took, you know, you jump on board with him and then you find out actually, oh, he's also doing something terrible. So who do I care about in this film? Like, who am I supposed to care about? The only real person that you wanted to care about is the poor lady who accidentally hit a child and killed it, um, who yeah. is now, and, and then she didn't last for long. I, do, I think Rocky is supposed to be your one yeah. you're, cheer, you're cheering on, but I understand. As you say, I I can find that not awkward because I'm I'm quite happy to see them all suffer in this film. I can, which is rare for me because normally I need a protagonist or else I don't 
I'm the same as you. If I don't have a clear protagonist, I do not. If you don't give me a reason to care for someone in this in a film, I don't care how beautifully shot or acted it is. I will not care for your movie in any way, shape, or form. But the, this is a rarity where I'm happy to see everyone suffer. I'm happy to see them them start getting bumped off to begin with. And to be fair, it's because it's just that tense game of cat and mouse that you know that you know that he's taking he's he's stalking them and you want to see if it's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. You want to see is Tom actually gonna catch Jerry this uh, this time. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I do still think you root for her purely because of what she's going through at home. And I know it's not the right way to go about it by robbing someone to make your dream come true. But in her mind, it's desperation. So that's why she's doing it. And I think at one point she was even willing to just leave the money there and just run as long as she could get out. I'm sure she did. She was never willing to leave the money there. She went back for that money. She is, yeah. Twice, I think. She is the reason they find themselves in the situation they do. Mm. But yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about, the, like I said, the brutal bits in this film, the fucking dark bits, like the shootings. When he yeah, kills, yeah, horrible. When he, when he kills him early on, because that's a quick, that is a early death for one of what you'd assume is going to be one of the three, three leads. Because he thinks he's alone, doesn't he? He, says, uh, he catches one of them and says, are you here yeah. alone? He says, yes. Obviously, he's not, but he's trying to protect them, and so he just shoots him. And as you say, through what was pitched as a studio That's kind of Saturday shoot. night, a studio Saturday night flick, for that for it to be that violent that early is is quite a big tick to yeah. go. That's a big risk for a studio to take. But then again, Alvarez did do the Evil Dead remake, so you know he's got form for this kind of thing. Yes, I think he's a director who knows how to definitely do some great ghost scenes, make them look really interesting, really believable. I don't shout at me. I do sometimes wonder whether his focus is more on the violence and the shocks than the overall story. Um, for I do think quite often there's not much of a story there. I mean, sometimes it just the action. Sometimes I don't think there has to be if it's playing out that well. So, I mean, the, the, there's there's a solid premise behind this, but most films you get, like slasher films, are literally just chasing each other around. So, and we enjoy those. We enjoy the Friday the Thirteenth and stuff oh. like that, and that is literally just chasing. So it's it's kind of no different, just in a modern setting. Stop trying to rationalise my <laughs> irrational points, okay? I understand uh, your point. I'm just, I'm just saying that I don't, I don't always think personally. I don't always think it needs it. I think it's expectation versus reality. So quite often, when you go into a slasher film, you're not expecting much more than the deaths. Yeah, I kind of think, as you said, "Don't Breathe" is probably marketed less as a slasher more as like a home invasion thriller horror where i've got into it probably expecting just a little bit more in lines of like the story and the character development i mean it is quite quick like we we that succession of meeting them three to getting into that house um there's not much that grows up and and the focus is primarily on rocker and a little bit on that other boy who everyone likes, but I can't remember his name, Alex. I mean, yeah. that third character, Munna, like, I mean, the fact that he's called Munna is, again, probably just them going, oh, Munna, yeah, he's, he's a Rob or Munna. Um, that'll do for him. Oh, it could be a street name. But, but I do think you are right. I think the, the violence in this film is so much... It's, it's, it's clean violence, as in it looks really good. Um, it there's not a, if there is any CGI, I didn't really see much of it. I didn't which know is, I think is always good. I do think Fede Alvarez normally does tend to focus more on practical effects. I I think there was some like from what I remember from Evil Dead, I'm sure there was some CGI blood in there that just pissed me right off. If it's yeah. if it's the scene I'm thinking of, but yeah, in anyway. this, and in I this. do like the. 
I do think the the good thing about this one is the twist in in the yeah. fact that the old man is not this like innocent old man who's just suffered a loss and is like become a recluse. He's got a, a hostage in his basement who is impregnated. And interestingly, I think it's good that they decide not to do like actual like he said. Obviously, it is sexual assault, but like the instead of focusing on doing a rape scene, which you would expect to see, yeah. the idea is that he he's not gonna personally assault somebody, although he does, it's a bit off. Um, does anyone remember Sunset Beach? I was literally just gonna say Sunset Beach for this scene, yes. Because that chicken based art filled with semen was literally, I'm just like, I, like that, I'm not gonna lie, Chris, I was just like, fuck me. Like this was in Sunset Beach, which is the most over-the-top American <laughs> daytime TV show I've ever seen in my life, and I can't believe we've slipped into what is a serious film. Oh, you used to and love Sunset Beach. I love Sunset Beach, but like everyone just goes along with this seriousness. I thought it was. I thought that part was a little bit like, um, okay. Mm. I liked that part of it. I thought it was twisted. Yeah. Very, very twisted. I think there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. As you say, I think the I think they play it well with as you say, him not actually assault, actually assaulting her. He's doing it more out of um, necessity. It's not pleasure, it's necessity. Yeah. That's what he's doing it out of. In his eyes. Not in everybody else's. But yeah, I think that twist is brilliant. Um, um I don't I wouldn't have seen it coming. I don't think anyone, anyone did in the cinema when I was yeah. there. I went and watched this in the cinema when it came out. I don't think anyone saw it coming. No. The only thing I will, the only negative I will say, say about it is something that annoys me with other films. The ending is too, there's too many final chase, yeah. chase scenes with it. It should have ended with the house and her getting out, not with them being chased by a dog. And then, him and then catching her and bringing her back in. And it's, I mean, if you know, if you, if you were not, you know, aware of the runtime anyway. And all three films do that annoying Rick and Morty thing, as we we're saying. All the start, all the stories start just start at the beginning, not where they get interesting. Yeah. Because none every of the every one of our films did it. Every one of our films, not one of them starts at the actual beginning of the story. Yeah, I think um, I can't remember how Eden Lake starts, so that's probably a good thing because it it makes me forget whatever it presents at the first i did i did, i agree like when i watched mine and then i watched yours chris i'd be like we've we've done the ending like or part of the ending and that just feels like a waste now like yeah. you know where, where's the suspense um give me some suspense i mean it, it could have just been a different girl that he were dragging up the street but i guess you know but it also leads you to that point where you're like, oh, well, that's obviously not the actual ending of the film. So we know that whatever he does there, there's going to be an escape afterwards, which is also a bit of a pain. What was the actual ending? Was it just her running across the road? Away from police? It's her getting away and then getting to the air, getting to the Oh, airport. my God. Airport, please. Why, why did we have the airport scene? To, oh, show, because, her, so that to we can... show her leaving. So not really. It, yeah, I'm going to say it was to show that there's a sequel, isn't there, by saying he's still alive. Yeah, but her at the airport was literally her and her sister getting away, showing that she didn't get the money and she is moving away. Like she yay planned. For, yay for her. She robbed a lot of people. She let her friends get killed and then she ran away and got away with all of her crimes. Well, bloody done. Well, I've not, I've not seen Don't Breathe 2, so she might not get away with all the crimes. I don't know. I don't think she's in it, so... Oh, there you go, maybe she does. Uh... She's got away with everything. Um, but no, I think... I mean, it, it's definitely a different feel to the other two films. I wish I'd have watched it in between the other two films. I started with Don't Breathe and then watched uh cruel summer and then watched eden lake so you so, were on misery overload by that point yeah yeah, yeah. i wish I, I wish i'd have broke it up with that maybe i would have also felt a little bit differently about it because i would have been, seen such dark extreme to like a little bit more light-hearted um, yeah. fun violence we'll could you it. not just do that but reverse it 
would you not have just been able to do the exact same but just in reverse order? Had you fun? No, I went, then had your misery. I, yeah, but I went, I went funish misery, misery, didn't I? Oh, okay. Where like I, I could have had a shit. Mercer, you you know what they say? Never double up on misery. Well, it was my first don't breathe watch, so I had no idea what to expect. Oh, okay. So fair enough. But yeah, I think we're giving that a a good going over. Mm. And my tooth feels like it's about to explode still. You've so done well, well done. You've got I have mani- it. managed to get through it. So I will just sum up and say, yeah, if you want a change from the usual misery of hoodie horror and the joys of someone getting penetrated by a turkey baster. And also shot, stabbed, thrown downstairs, and generally abused and terrified, then yeah, that you're gonna have a good time with Don't Breathe. And that is why it's my pick for best hoodie horror. So thank you very much for joining us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm gonna try and do Chris a favor by going through the socials. If I get it wrong, you can jump in because that'll only hurt his tooth a little bit rather than a lot. You can find us on Facebook on I Spit On Your Grades. You can find us on Twitter at Spit Grades. You can email us at... Uh... <laughs> Electricfossums at gmail.com. Any more for Instagram? Instagram, we are at Spit Grades as well. Thank you very much. Is that enough? Is that all done? Is that good? That's good for this week. You've been listening for a while. You know our socials now. No one ever gets in touch by email, bar Kevin. And you can tweet us at any time. So you know what to do. Anyway. Just obviously be aware. We'll put the poll out shortly after this episode comes out. Please vote. Let us know your best city horror. Let us know why you picked Eason Lake. Because I'm assuming it's going to win this this week. So let us know why you picked what you picked. And please don't forget the rate, review, and subscribe as well. I should know all this by now, shouldn't I? I should know all this by now. But I'm a dumbass. Ooh. Anyway, again, thank you for joining us. I have been Faye. This has been Chris. Uh-huh. And that has been Mercer. Thank and you. We... <laughs> You're welcome. And we will see you next time. Bye.